Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. Beginning today, a new sermon series, uh, The Most Important Prayer, and of course, that being the Lord's Prayer. Uh, The scriptures are there in your bulletin. If you want to follow that way, they're on the screen, or you might turn to them in your own Bible or on your phone, however you prefer to take them in. I'm going to read a few verses from Galatians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, and then we'll read from Matthew 6, where Jesus teaches the disciples the Lord's Prayer. So I invite you to hear these words of scripture. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. Because you're children, God sent his spirit of the son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. And then from Matthew 6, this is Jesus teaching the disciples, uh, part of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and he teaches them how to pray. So he says this, Whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners so that they might be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward. When you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you're praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to a time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. May God bless our reading of the Holy Scriptures and let us say together, Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, we ask for your blessing today as we uh, focus our minds and our hearts on these ancient Scriptures. We ask on your, your blessing on, on perhaps my words on this moment as we share together that we gather here would find our hearts knit together and lifted up, that we would find ourselves drawn into your presence that we would know again your grace and love and care, your forgiveness, your healing. These are the things we come seeking to find today as we gather around your holy word. This in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, obviously, tomorrow is the first day of school for our local school districts. I think uh, Brooklyn is on Wednesday. Some of the other ones may be other days in the week, but most are starting this week in some form or fashion. And so today, those classrooms uh, sent em- set empty, though they have already been well prepared by teachers. I know many of you in this room uh, have been at school this week and in the weeks even before that, uh, working on those spaces, making the room just right, looking over your rosters, preparing everything so that when those students come in tomorrow, whether they are pre-K or elementary or middle school, junior high, high school, even college students, that when they come in tomorrow, they'll feel welcomed and loved. They'll feel a place of comfort and support as we begin this academic year together. We were talking this morning at our pre-worship staff meeting. Uh, Brian and Angela, of course, both hold full-time jobs outside of the church. One, Brian teaches band at Tech. Angela is now at the high school at Paragould. And they were talking about tomorrow all the things that happen on the first day of school. Many of you are uh, familiar with those habits and patterns. Children will come in. uh, We will go over rosters. We will learn names. We will correct any mispronunciations. uh, And then we'll go over rules and expectations. And this includes all ages, from our youngest children 
up to our college students. Uh, many in the high school and the junior high will gather in an assembly hall and they will have the administrators talk to them about the school year and the expectations for their behavior and their participation. Individual teachers will go over grading and books and textbooks and reading and, and Chromebooks and all of those things. And we're, of course, trying to do the, the things that will get us started on a good year, right? How will the schedule work? How will discipline work? What's the expectation for our behavior here in this school? How will we navigate this school year together? What are the most important things to remember? What is most important about starting the school year off this, this time? In that same vein, of course, we are trying to restart our year, not the school year, but the church year. It really begins more in August than it does in January because in August, people return from summer vacations, return from summer travel, summer sports activities, lake homes. We're back into the patterns of being at school, hopefully back into the patterns of being in church a little bit more. And so we're thinking today, this week, and these next few weeks about what's most important. How do we get this school year started off right? And one of the most important things we can do, of course, is to reorient ourselves in terms of our prayer life. How should we pray? What does it mean to pray? How often should we pray? What should our prayers sound like? Now, I will share with you that for many, right, including myself, prayer, of course, is a challenge. It's a daunting concept to think we have access to the Almighty God, the Creator of the universe, the one who came to us in Jesus, who has been resurrected for the sake of our salvation, the Holy Spirit that's still present among us. And so when you tell people, yeah, just pray, just pray to God, right? That's a pretty challenging concept. You mean that I can just simply commune with God, I can talk to God, I can fellowship with God? We kind of know that in an educa- in uh, intellectual sense, but we may not know that in our own spirit. How should we pray? And so we're going to start today looking at the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to do that for the next few weeks, the most important prayer as we begin this school year season, as we begin this new church season, focusing our hearts and minds together on these scriptures. So as you came in, you should have received, if you didn't, you can get them on the way out, a couple of resources. Uh, One is this small book called The Most Important Prayer of All, Uh, and this is a children's book written for like children third, fourth grade and under, maybe fifth grade. Um, It's written by Adam Hamilton, of course, he's the mega church pastor in Kansas City, Uh, But it's written with his granddaughter, Stella. Stella is a young child at elementary age. You can see her picture on the back there. And so this is a children's book to be read uh, with parents and guardians, with grandparents, uh, with young children to help them learn the Lord's Prayer and to unpack some of those little phrases in there that may not be so common to our children. And so we hope today that every household with young kids would take one of these books. I don't think you need more than one. You know, we have two kids in our house, but I think they can share a book. And I hope that would be the same in your house as well. And so this is one resource that the church is providing you, trying to get your family focused in on the Lord's Prayer a little bit. The other one that's available to you as you leave or as you came in is a book called May It Be So, and it was written by two guys who are about my age, uh, Justin McRoberts and Scott Erickson. They've done a few of these devotional books. I really like what they do. Um, They just have an interesting and creative way of kind of digging into spirituality. What you will find in this book is quite a bit different than your typical devotional book. And so as you look on the inside, you will see illustrations uh, that are done by Scott. Scott is a painter and illustrator, and so he does these creative illustrations. And then you'll see a really brief prayer on the other page. And these are inspired by the Lord's Prayer. So they're taking concepts from the Lord's Prayer. Scott's thinking through some illustrations. And then Justin's providing some words. And so each day you can meditate on the image. You can meditate on the, on the a phrase that's given to you there. And then Justin has also written little, uh, little essays, little reflections. It's not a curriculum by any means. But it's kind of his thoughts, his thoughts on the Lord's Prayer or different parts of the Lord's Prayer. 
And so we're making both of these available to you. They're not meant to be one-to-one with the sermon. It's not like every sermon will come directly from one of these books. Uh, But they're meant to be a guide for your family and for your own uh, spiritual health as we begin this sermon series together. And of course, for those kids who picked up the keychains, and there's plenty for our adults as well, the keychain has the Lord's Prayer on it, right? And so we're sending our children to school with the Lord's Prayer, hoping that you're practicing it at home and hoping that they can use it at school as they need uh, in the beginning of this school year. So let's talk about the Lord's Prayer today. Well, first of all, just a little bit of background. Of course, you know the Lord's Prayer comes from Scripture. We read the Lord's Prayer right out of Matthew 6 today. Matthew 6 is the longer version. It's also in Luke 11, but it's a little bit shorter. It doesn't have all the same phrases in it, uh, which leads us to think maybe Luke knew Matthew or Matthew knew Luke. That's kind of how they're sharing that. Of course, originally the Lord's Prayer was remembered and, and recited in Greek and then in Latin for about 15 or 1,600 years. To pray the Lord's Prayer would have been in Greek or Latin. But with the English language and its growth in terms of Christianity, the King James Bible in the 1600s, we picked up the English version that we all know. Particularly in 1662, the Book of Common Prayer included the English Lord's Prayer as we know it. And we recite it really similar to how we we first translated it back some 400 years ago. That little ending that most of us have memorized, you noticed was not in the Scripture today, right? The Scripture just ended, and then we have that little part that we include. That was added, you know, by the church later. That's not part of the scriptural part of the Lord's Prayer by any means. Of course, when we think about the Lord's Prayer, uh, we think about our spiritual life. And there's probably no uh, more uh, biblical text. There's probably no other prayer. There's no other thing in our tradition that's more central to our worship than the Lord's Prayer. And so from the earliest Christian resources, we have things like the Didache, which was an early catechism in Christianity. From the earliest Christian resources, in terms of forming the church, people were taught to pray the Lord's Prayer. And so when we pray the Lord's Prayer together in worship or when we pray it alone, we're, of course, engaging in the most basic and the most central act of spiritual worship that's available to us. So in this sermon series, what I hope happens, my goal, both for myself and for you, as we begin this new school year together, that we would deepen our devotion and our spiritual life. We would deepen our sense of devotion and spiritual life. We just finished up the Colossians series here at the end of the summer. Colossians, I sort of did a lot of teaching in that. We were kind of doing a Bible study. I was hoping to teach you Colossians, that at the end of the book you would know what was going on in Colossians, why it was important. In this series, not hoping so much to teach you something in the head, but we're hoping to touch the heart, right? What does it mean to pray? How can we grow in our prayer? How might the Lord's Prayer be a helpful guide in that? And so really hoping over these next five or six weeks that we as a church, that we would grow in our spiritual discipline, we would grow in our confidence and our comfort in our prayer, and of course there's no better place to start than the Lord's Prayer itself. So how does the Lord's Prayer come to us? Well, it comes to us because the disciples ask, right? Jesus is teaching the disciples. The disciples see other people praying, other traditions, uh, particularly other people who are with John the Baptist. They see other people praying, and so they ask Jesus, Jesus, tell us, how should we pray, right? Which is a great moment in the Bible because so often the disciples get Jesus wrong or they misunderstand the faith or they're kind of confused. But in this moment, they sort of get it, right? Like, Jesus, we want to know how to pray, which is hopefully a question that that echoes in all of our hearts, right? We look to God and we say, we want to pray, God, but we're not sure how. So the disciples sort of speak for all of us, teach us to pray. So then Jesus gives this little speech that I read just a minute ago. He says, well, when you pray, don't make a big show of it. Don't go to the synagogues. Don't go to the street corners. Don't pray with a lot of words. Don't make a, you know, a big act of it. Just go in private, in the quiet, 
and pray simple, short prayers like this. Our Father, who art in heaven. And so Jesus teaches them the Lord's Prayer, right, in this text. And it's very simple. It's very compact, right? We might have a view of prayer that it's kind of complicated and lengthy. And and Jesus says, no, 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 you don't need a lot of words. You don't need to make a big show of it. You should pray in this way. One of the phrases that Jesus offers them that I think is so important when we're thinking about the Lord's Prayer and prayer in general, he says this. One reason you shouldn't be intimidated by prayer is because of this. He says in verse 8, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so oftentimes we go to prayer with this sort of sense of of, of insulation, this sort of distance between God. And Jesus says, whatever distance you imagine between yourself and God, that's that's just something in your own mind or your own heart. There's no distance between you and God. Your father already knows the anxieties, the fears, the worries, the hopes, the dreams, the sins. Your father already knows. You're not hiding anything from God. So there's no need to be intimidated by prayer. You should just go to God in confidence and in comfort, and you should pray in this way. Now, the Lord's Prayer is only a few verses, but we're going to spend six weeks on just a few verses, right? So we're not doing a deep Bible study, but we are going to unpack these words. Some of them are more common to us, and some of them are a little bit more ancient in their, in their sound, and so we'll spend more time on those. Today, we're just going to look at those first two words, Our Father, Our Father. Well, it should be kind of interesting to us that when Jesus teaches the disciples to pray, the first word that he gives them when they pray is our, our. And obviously we know this is a plural word, right? This is a word that represents many people. And we know in this setting where Jesus is teaching, he's talking to the disciples. And so he tells them, when you pray, you pray our. You don't pray I or me or my. You pray our. And so the first lesson in prayer that Jesus offers the disciples is that prayer is always a communal activity. It's always a communal activity. Whether we're praying alone or whether we're praying as a part of worship, we're always praying with and for other people. And in this case, this means all Christians, not just the ones who are in our family, who are in our Sunday school class, who are in the worship service that we're in. When we say our Father, we mean like all Christianity. Our Father, the people who worship with us in this particular service, the people who worship in the other services, the people who worship at the other Methodist churches in town or in Arkansas or across the nation, the people at the Church of Christ and the Baptist churches and the the Roman Catholic Church, the Pentecostal churches in in South America, the Orthodox churches in, in Russia and Greece. When we say Our Father, We're kind of recognizing the depth and breadth of the disciples who follow Jesus, all of us praying this one prayer together. So it's not my prayer. It's not my own spirituality. It is our prayer. How might we pray together as one? I've shared data with you like this before, and and I share it with you because I am just so concerned about this this sort of uh, epidemic that we see. Uh, it's, been, it's been coming out in, in waves over the last few years, but particularly since the pandemic, psychologists and doctors uh, continue to tell us that we are suffering from a deep sense of loneliness uh, as modern people. 
which is strange because we think the modern world is highly connected, the internet, streaming activities, social media, text messaging. We feel like we're more connected than ever, but in actuality, that's kind of having a reverse effect. And so here is some 2022 data. This is just from this year. 52% of Americans report fe- feeling lonely regularly, half, half of our country, presumably our town as well. About 47% report that their relationships are not meaningful with other people. 57% report regularly eating their meals alone. It's about 60% of people in America regularly eat their meals alone. Here's a few more data points that comes from this same group. Uh, 80% of people under the age of 18 uh, report being lonely regularly. That's school children. School children, 80% report being lonely regularly. 43%, 17 to 25, report being lonely often. 75% of millennials say they experience loneliness often. And so what doctors are telling us, what psychologists are telling us, is that we're kind of having an epidemic of loneliness. That we feel connected on some sense, or we think we're connected. We're not really as connected as we might think. And certainly it's been my experience that this is true in the church as well. That though we come to church on Sundays, though we know people, though we have a lot of people on our membership role, that doesn't necessarily mean we feel connected. This week has been a particularly hard week for our church. Chase mentioned a couple of deaths in our church family a couple of losses in our community. And it's in those trying times that our loneliness is ratcheted up even further. And so when we pray our Father, part of what we're doing is we're, we're recognizing that God is God of us all. And that includes our friends and our family, those whom we know and spend time with, those whom we love and who we know love us. But it also includes other people in our, our broader network, people who need our care and our attention. And so praying our is kind of a reminder of, of all the people who have cared and loved for us, the good hour, right? But it's also all the people who stand in need of that care and love as well. So when we pray our Father, we don't just rush through those first two words. Our Father. Who is our? And so in my prayer, I might just pause. Our faces and names might come to me people in church, people who stand in need of of care or comfort or healing, people who are grieving. I might think of my family or my friends. I might think of my spouse or my children, our Father. And I just let that moment sort sort of wash over me, giving thanks for those who have touched me, grieving with those who are in grief, praying for those who are in need, and remembering that God is is all of our Father. So our, our Father. The next word, of course, is, is Father, right? This is a really creative and interesting moment in Scripture. Why so? Well, most of the Bible refers to God in sort of these, these big terms, right? Uh, God is often the theos, the God. That's the Greek word, right? Or in the Old Testament, Yahweh, the God, right? Or sometimes kurios when referring to Jesus. We kind of have these official-sounding titles about the grandeur and the majesty of God. But when Jesus teaches the disciples to pray, he uses a really different word. He says, you're not praying to God Almighty, you're praying to Father. And I just want you to hear how that changes the tone of the prayer. This is no longer a prayer of intimidation or a prayer of fear. This is a prayer of of embrace, of proximity, of comfort, and care. 
Now, we've talked before in other sermons about the word father and how for some people that might be a challenge, right? Maybe they had a strained relationship with their father and using that word is a little bit difficult and and certainly we want to acknowledge that. But this means father in the best sense, right? Caring, loving, kind, welcoming, warm, supportive. And so just by the two words that begin this prayer, Jesus has reoriented our relationship, our thinking about our relationship with God. This isn't the God behind the Wizard of Oz cloak with a mega voice, right? This is our Father. And of course, that's language that Jesus himself uses. Jesus prays to the Father. Jesus is the Son. Jesus is the Son. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that Trinitarian language that we use in the creeds, that we use in our faith tradition, now becomes the language of our prayer. Paul says in Galatians that because Jesus was God's son and because we have been baptized in relationship, baptized into a relationship with Jesus, that we are now God's children as well. We read from Galatians just a few moments ago. We have been adopted as children. You are children. God has sent the Spirit, the Son, into your hearts so that you might cry out, Abba and Father. Not a slave, but a child a child and an heir through God. And so in prayer, Jesus is inviting us to to think about our relationship with God in terms of an intimate parent. This isn't a far and away dictator. This is the God who has chosen to make us God's own children. Uh, Brenning Manning is a wonderful Catholic uh, priest and writer. He writes on the life of the, uh, the Spirit, the inner life. He's written two books, and I would recommend either one of them to you. A Ragamuffin Gospel is one that's really good, Ragamuffin Gospel. And then this book, Abba's Child, where he unpacks that language of being a child of God, God the Father. He says this, Being the Father's beloved child is our identity, the, ki- the so- core of our existence, It is not merely a lofty thought or an inspiring idea or one name among many. It is the way in which God knows you and relates to us. God's love for you and the choice of you constitute your worth. Accept that and let it be the most important thing in your life. So when we pray, Father, we're seeing ourselves as God's chosen child in unique relationship to our Lord, our Father. None of us are only children, right? All of us have been baptized into this family of our, right? All of us together, God of us all. Our Father, none of us are orphans, right? None of us are spiritually homeless. All of us have been made children to God, and we have this eternal, loving Father. So this week, I want to give you a little bit of a challenge. I don't usually do this at the end of sermons, but I want to challenge you this week. This week is a return to school, uh, waking up earlier. We know that's going to be a challenge in our house, right? Uh, Eating breakfast before we leave. All those things are going to change this week, right, for many of our households. I also want to invite you to change in another way, and it's pretty simple. I want to invite you to pray the Lord's Prayer every day, one time by yourself. So you can pray by yourself. You can meditate on the words, particularly our Father. And then I want to invite you to pray the Lord's Prayer with someone else. Now, that someone else for many of you will be the people you live with, people in your household. You might pray before your meal. I mean, it takes 20 seconds, right? We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer before we eat dinner, before we eat breakfast. For some of you, you might want to get creative. You might call someone on the phone and pray with them. You might find someone in church. Some of those 50 or 60% of people who eat their meals alone, you might find someone in church who you could reach out to this week, and you could just pray over the phone the Lord's Prayer. And you could do that together and be in communion with one another. 
as we pray this week, we'll focus on those first two words, our Father, our thinking and giving thanks and praying for others, Father, remembering and celebrating the unique relationship that God has made with each of us. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Holy God, we give thanks that you have seen fit to invite us into relationship with you, not just in saving us in some abstract way, but in joining us in communion and joining us in fellowship, even now and in this life. God, we pray that you would give us the courage, the strength, the will to seek you in prayer, beginning with this most important and most simple prayer, the Lord's Prayer. These things in Christ's name we pray together this morning. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparagold.org. May God bless you this week.